Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Welcome to the now 11th edition of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today, I have my very first paranormal investigator. Uh, his name is Ben Stevenson. He is the founder of Central Utah Paranormal. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for letting me come hang out with you tonight. Really appreciate you coming on the show and making time to tell us about what you do, man. Uh, so I guess to, to get started, why don't you tell us exactly what Central Utah Paranormal is and what you do there? Okay, so um, I was trying to come up with a name. So I've been doing this for since about 2016, roughly. It started more as a hobby, but I always wanted it to be something bigger, right? So um, I wanted I wanted a name that could also represent where where I'm from, but also be kind of an acronym if that's the correct term, um, or synonym. I can't remember the right word now, but so I came up with Central Utah Paranormal which also stands for cryptids, UFOs, and poltergeists, because we, we cover, I mean, we have everything from like skinwalker stories around here to Bigfoot stories, um, UFOs. Lots of people here have had their own, like not necessarily UFO abductions, but UFO stories and lots and lots of haunted places and haunted homes. So we, with poltergeists, so, um, I did it by myself when I was doing it as a hobby. So I actually worked around some places that were haunted. And so I just went and got some stuff that I could bring to work like nonchalantly because I worked night shifts a lot. So sometimes the people that I worked with were like, what the hell are you doing? But I also had friends that are actually now on the team that I worked with that really got into it and would help me. And they started carrying their own like digital recorders and stuff like that to help me catch all these different kinds of voices and stuff. And so then after doing it for a hobby for a couple of years, like I hadn't gone into anyone's homes. It was just really work or me going outside looking like an idiot because people that don't understand, you know, you're walking around, Hey, I'm, my name's Ben and I'm just here to talk to you. And (laughs) Everyone, like people that don't know what the hell you're doing, just, I, I was the weird guy. Looks like you have schizophrenia or something. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, so eventually we had a guy move in and, um, he started working with me. He started talking about, he's like, man, all this weird stuff like happens around here. He's like, it doesn't matter if it's daytime, nighttime. And, um, 
so he they're like oh well you should talk to ben like he, he's into all that weird stuff and he was like okay and so he approached me one day and he was like so like i i hear you're into you're into this stuff and you're into the paranormal and you've wanted to kind of start investigating like for real and i was like yeah but i've been trying to find someone to do it with me because it's really hard to start like a team project when you're the only one doing anything right and so he was like well i'm gonna buy some stuff and um I told him, I was like, Hey, like, if we're really going to do this, like I already had a website built. I had, I had everything. It was just sitting there just waiting <laughs> for the right person to come around. And so I was like, here's the name. Here's everything that I have. This is kind of my vision. And he was like, I love it. Let's go with it. And so I, I got a shirt and um, my flag back there. My wife is actually the one that made our first um, logo. So that's our, our very first logo that we ever had, but yeah, we, we got together and we started up and um, we have four official team members, including myself, but we have a lot of people that also like when we do do stuff, they come and join in and help out. And so it's, it's growing. It's taken a long time to get to where we are now. So I can't wait to expand. <laughs> So uh, what kind of equipment do you use when you go when you try to uh, find paranormal activity? So I would say that our team is more communications based. Like you'll see, especially on TV, you'll see a lot of teams that always have like all of this equipment, like shadow finders and um, things that sense movement on the ground, um, electromagnetic field finders, static electricity, like there's all these different kinds of tools and I have some of them, but what I found worked the best, especially where we mostly help people in their homes and in their businesses was to find out who was there, why it was there, if it wanted to leave. And, you know, kind of like if you even jump into like a, I tried to think of it as being like a detective, like the who, what, where, when, why, and how. Like, and we were able to answer those questions using um, dousing rods, which we could ask yes and no questions. So you could, um, I can explain that a little bit better later if you want, but we also have uh, spirit boxes um, that sweep radio stations or we'll just leave it on white noise. And it's believed that spirits can use the, the white noise fields to create words. And I've gotten a lot of voices just from from static like it's it's super crazy and trying to explain it also because it's like I don't know how it works <laughs> you know but I know it does um so we also have some motion sensor devices so we'll lay a few out like in a row and be like hey can you walk towards us and on my very first occasion when I um when I started with my first partner's name was Randy and we were out in the middle of the desert in this fort that was built in 1840 and it was a mud fort. So it was built completely out of like mud and straw by a bunch of cowboys. And in like 18, I want to say like 1860, it was during some of the native American wars. And so we're out there and we're in one of the, 
the gun rooms, um, one of the cannon rooms, and we laid out some of these motion sensor lights. And me and Randy are standing on the farthest corner on the inside. So we're facing the only exit unless we decided to jump one of the walls, you know, or something. But so Randy, you'd have to know him, but he's like a 70s surfer dude. So everyone's just like, whoa, dude, whoa. <laughs> and so he's in the corner and he's just like, he's like, hey buddy, like, hey, you know, we're we're here to talk to you. And I'm your friend. This is my name. I just want to talk to you. Would you mind coming closer to me? And all of a sudden, all the lights started turning on. And he didn't know what to do. This is his first time. And he's just like, oh, oh, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> it's like, I know. Like, and it's it's that that too, because they're like, oh, well, like a lot of the comments that I got on the video was like, oh, it was crickets. Oh, it was this. Oh, it was bugs. You're like, it happened right when we asked. And it was like one, then the next, then the next. Like if it was bugs, they would have been sporadically, you know, yeah. going off out of order throughout the entire like investigation. It would have just, it wouldn't have been at that moment. And that same night, sorry, I can't remember exactly what you asked me at first. I might be going too far. <laughs> oh no, you're good. You can continue with the story. Actually, I'm interested in hearing the rest of the story. Okay. So sorry. I, I, I jump off on a tangent and I just keep going. Oh no, this is meant to be an open conversation style podcast. So if that's what it turns into, I mean, I'm totally okay with me. Okay. Sounds good. So, um, we are using a have you ever heard of like an SB11 or any like paranormal equipment? Um, just for the listeners that don't know about any of this stuff, if you wouldn't mind explaining it, I'd appreciate it. Okay. So um, I can't remember what the P stands for, but it's a PSB11, a spirit box. There's There was two different brands by the same company. So there was the SB7 and the SB11. Um, the 7 was really small. I have both of them. Um and the 11 was Randy's favorite. So the, the FM or the, the 11 can scan AM and FM radio at the same time, or you can have one scanning um, FM radio and the other one on static or two separate um, static channels. So you can do an AM static and an FM static. So there's lots that you can do with it. And if you really get into it, like Randy was super into it when he first started, like he had money that I didn't have. <laughs> so he had like the ability to, um, you can plug stuff into it and you can record both sides separately and then you can layer them and you can get almost like full sentences and stuff. Like it's, it's insane. That's to, like, really what, cool. what, what he could do was insane. But so that was his favorite. And it also um, detects temperature changes. So if something's getting colder or hotter, it's so like if you're holding it, like you can't hold it and have the temperature turned on because your hand will warm up the device and it'll keep saying like there's heat signatures and the heat signatures are growing. But so that same night after we had done that, um, I remember Randy thought it was super funny because he thought it was incredibly ironic that the spirit or this entity, whatever words you want to use, walks towards him after he asked it to with the lights. And so we go and set up the SB11 over on the side and he has it um, just on the temperature gauge and um, some static. 
but we weren't getting any voices anymore. Like throughout the beginning part of the night, we had gotten like at one point, Randy was like, it's okay. We're your friends. And you hear this like 1830s, like uh, kind of like a twangy proper accent, if that makes sense. Um, and he's like, it's okay. We're your friends. And you hear this, you're here. <laughs> like what? And you heard it like obviously. And so it was like, whoa. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're here. Um, we're, we're your friends and we want to talk to you. And then in the same female voice, you hear, really? And he's like, of course, Randy's freaking out. Like he's got, I still gives me goosebumps talking about it. But Randy was all freaking out because this is just the coolest thing that he's ever had happen to him. And then after that was when we had the steps coming towards us. And then Randy goes and sets up the SB11 over on the side. And we weren't getting any um, words anymore. And so he just set up uh, the temperature gauge and he had it on static just in case some words were able to come through. And he starts saying something like, um, this was towards the end of the night. So we'd been there a few hours and um, I'd have to watch the video again to remember exactly what he said. We'll probably add the link down at the bottom too, for if anybody wants to see this. Okay. Awesome. And so he says something along the lines of, um, can you, can you lower the temperature um, if you want us to leave? Cause he thought that we had irritated it in some way. And that's why it, wasn't talking to us anymore and the it, the temperature drops like five degrees to into the blue and it makes this really low just like for like the lower temperatures mm -hmm. and he was like okay and he was like could you do that again if you'd like us to leave and it like right after he says it it does it again and there's no one out out there like this is this is miles from any town um it's in the middle of a mud fort, you know, you're surrounded by mud and straw and foxholes and coyotes and rabbits. Like their civilization is close, but not within like screaming distance, <laughs> you know, no one's going to come save you. <laughs> and so he starts laughing. He's like, Oh, like, this is so cool. Cause in, in his mind, he was like, he was like, oh, man. And then it just starts going, rah, 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 like cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot. And he's like, OK, I think I think we're done now. I was like, I think we need to leave now. Like, I think we've overstayed our welcome. And Randy's like, OK, we'll leave now. And it's still wah, 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 wah. and right after he said, we'll leave now, it stopped. And and for respect, you know, purposes, we cleaned up all of our stuff and we said goodbye and and we left. But that doesn't happen on very many, like, first-time adventures. So if anyone does, like, try and go out and do this and doesn't get anything, don't be discouraged. It's just not the right time or it's not the right place. So I guess continuing off that story, um, considering what you said that your name stands for, um, I'd like to hear your best story for each one of those letters, if you, if you got a story for each. Okay. Okay. So cryptids around here mostly. So we have people that have Sasquatch stories, Bigfoot stories. They're, they're very few. Um, the ones we have the most of, um, we live very near an Indian reservation. So we have a lot of skinwalker 
instances, stories. Um, lots of people have them. I have lots of friends that are native. Like they've, I've been invited to come do stuff on the reservation. Um, I'm actually still waiting for, um, what's it called? I'm trying to think of the proper terms. I don't want to offend anyone, but like chief permission, like tribal permission. Because mm -hmm. we have uh, we have Paiutes and Navajos that are around us, and so my very favorite story I will tell you, but I can't like I can't like divulge names. No, so that's fine. I I'll can cut it out if you do happen to drop them on accident, anyways. Afterwards, so I have a friend who um, basically where I live. So I live in a town called Fillmore. And it's very rural. There's like 2,200 people here. Everyone knows who you are, what you do for work. Um, your mom knew what you did before you got home from school, like very small. And so my, my friend has a job that it's, it's literal title is cowboy, <laughs> which for some people, they're like, what? Like, no, and like, it is, it's his, that's his job title. And so all year round, he rides a horse along the mountain with all of his other cowboys and they rustle up all these cattle and they move them to the top of the mountain. And then as the winter gets here, they move them farther and farther down where they can still get grass and water. And then they corral them for the, the winter. And then as soon as things start to warm up, they push them back up on the mountain. And that's what he does all the time year round. He's been doing it for years. I mean, he's almost 50 now and he started in his teens. So like, he's been doing this for a very, very long time. And one particular instance, he took one of his kids out with him and he was like, okay, like this is where we're going. They're on the top of the mountain. And so he gave his kid very specific instructions. He's like, okay, so um, I'm, I've got these ones over here. I want you to circle back you know, a mile, half a mile and see if you can see any, any cows or anything that we've missed. And they're like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, I'm okay, dad, I'll go do it by myself on the mountain. And I think they were like 15, 14 or 15. And so sure enough, they go and circle around and they get to a point and so in our mountains, we have, it's mostly, Quakies, pine trees, um, sagebrush, um, oak trees, oak brush. So there's this clearing and then there's all these trees along the side. And they look down and they see what appears to be uh, a woman in some type of uh, like older clothing. Um, I guess you could describe it as more of like a older style of maybe saloon clothing in the 1800s, like pioneer clothing. And she yells out, Hey, do you need help? Are you okay? Like, are you okay? And cause there's, she doesn't see a horse, see anything like this person's all alone and they're trapped on the mountain is what is going through her mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it just looks at her and then it runs at her but not on two feet, on all fours. It just <laughs> starts running at her. And she's on her horse, so she just turns around, takes off, and she gets back to her dad. She's like, Dad, this just happened, and I don't know where it is. And he just kind of was like, oh, 
you're okay. Just come here. <laughs> and he, he said that they just went off and like they got off their horses and they said a prayer and they, they felt better, but they felt like they should still move on. And so they got on their horses and they left, but he has so many stories. Like I have tried so many times. I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to just record him telling all of his stories and just put them all in a book. Cause it's, they are insane. But they all so pertaining that to walkers. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's what I imagine because like, if I was to see something like that, something that looks like a human from, from a distance that ran at me on all fours, that's the direction I would lean towards. And most of the stories that we hear are like that, but it's not always um, someone uh, like, it's not always someone running towards you on four feet. Sometimes it's like full, like native garb running at you on two feet. Like there's, there's just lots, lots and lots of those stories. And I can share more of those later. If you like, I have quite a few. I was going to say, before we get into the other stuff, I always am intrigued by the skinwalker conversation. So any other stories you want to bring up on skinwalkers, I'd be more than happy to hear. Okay. So, um, trying to think like i i have a story but i don't really know that it's i don't know that it's skinwalker related it's in a known skinwalker area Mm -hmm. so if you get bored sometime um look up dog valley in millard county it's right by um it's in between a small town called kenosh and um a very small area called Cove Fort. It's mostly just farmers that live by Cove Fort. And if you follow on Google Maps, if you take the Dog Valley exit, so off the freeway, there's a little dirt road that goes under and around and goes up the side of this mountain. And when I was 18 to like 22, I worked for the Forest Service. Mm-hmm. And I sprayed weeds for like we sprayed noxious weeds that could kill some of the animals that lived on the mountain if they were to eat them. And so we were there relatively often. I mean, I was there a lot over a four year period, but this was my first real, I guess you could say experience there. And so we get there and the ironic thing was both of my supervisors were both teachers that I had growing up. One was the middle school librarian and the other one was my woodshop teacher in high school and both retired and started working for the forest service after they retired. Sometimes I think that's why I got the job because they both already knew me. So it was easy to, I was easy to work with, I guess. But so we get to the area and if you, um, like I said, if you follow that on Google Maps, if you choose to look it up, there's a little um, meadow area. That's where we park our trucks and unload our four wheelers to go up this trail. And then you'll follow this dirt trail that goes up for maybe two miles. And at the end of this trail, there's a little one man cabin. And to the right of that cabin or to the south, if you're looking at directions, there is a little trail that peaks up this little mountain little hillside and so that's a little background so my we get there and my boss is like hey 
you need to go this direction, like load up your tank, put this stuff in it to kill these weeds. And you're going to go up here, you're going to come to this little cabin and there's a little trail on the side. I want you to take that trail all the way up to the top of that little like mountainside and spray these weeds until you run out of um, uh, juice, basically. And I was like, okay. And he's like, be back here by two. And he kept saying that, like, as I was unloading the four wheelers and everything, he's like, remember, two o'clock. <laughs> like, okay. Like, but here's these guys that have been doing this for years, you know? And so I'm like, okay, whatever. So I do it. And so I get to the cabin and I'm curious. I like weird stuff. So I get out and I walk around this little cabin and I look on the inside and there's like a, like an old broken, like metal cot and what could have been like a desk at a time, but it's just all full of leaves and old, old and run down, but still had solid walls and a solid roof. Mm-hmm. So I walk around it and I get back on my four wheeler and I go up the little hillside and I spray my weeds and I kind of feel, I feel weird. Like, I feel like something's watching me. I felt really eerie the whole time. And I just kept kind of like, you know, pushing it off, pushing it off, whatever. And I didn't feel like I was up there for very long. And I start coming down the same path. And when you're coming down the path, and again, if you look at this on Google Maps, you'll see it. You're always facing that cabin as you're coming down the hillside. And you have to go at a certain speed and at certain angles because the tank on the back of your four-wheeler is so full, it can tip you over if you're not you know, careful. And when I start coming down, I look at the cabin and I can see something very different. And remember, I just walked around this cabin. I looked at it, what felt like maybe 45 minutes ago, you know, and the whole side of this cabin is now covered in blood. It's just red, steamy blood. And I'm like, holy shit. And so I start coming down and I can only go so fast, you know, but I'm still looking at this thing like, what, when is whatever put that there going to show back up, you know? And so I... I go down as quick as I can and I get right down next to it. Sure enough, like I'm looking right at it. Now I'm like, like 10 feet away from it. And I'm like, this shit is real. That is blood and that is crazy. And I fly back to the truck and I get back there and my boss is pissed. He's just like, where the hell have you been? We went looking for you. It's three 30. And I was like, what? Like, there's no way it's been that long. Like, I was, I wasn't up there for that long. Like I didn't even empty my tank. They're like, were you just digging around? I'm like, no. And so I was like, this is what just happened. And this is what I saw. And the one, the one just like, <laughs> just stares at me. Like, um, are, are you sure? And I was like, yes. Do I look like I'm not sure? And so I finally convinced um, one of them, the one that was terrified stayed there. And my one supervisor and one of the other guys that was just like a year or two older than me jumped on their four wheelers. I was like, come on, like, let's go. And like, we hauled up to that little cabin and guess what wasn't there anymore. Of course. Blood. Nothing. Cabin was there. You could see my footprints all around it from where I walked around it earlier. There was no other sign of life and there was no blood on the side of that cabin. Sounds almost like a, like it could be a, could be skinwalker but it could also be some type of like paranormal type story like something may have happened with the old rundown cabin at some point and maybe yeah. it was some kind of certain time thing and that's why he was saying two o'clock like he kind of knew something was up with that cabin 
Yeah. And that's, so I, I always, like, after I like got into this and started reading more about that kind of stuff, I understand it more now as kind of maybe a residual energy, something that happened there that replays itself. And if you just happen to be there at the right time, you get to see it too. Um, but some other stories in the same area, like people would be there camping um, and they would hear just these like God awful noises that they couldn't explain. And um, they were there for like a deer hunt one winter and they woke up one morning um, and went to go kind of look to see if they could see some tracks or whatever for the sound was coming from. Couldn't find any tracks or anything that would lead them to understand or believe what this noise was. But then in the middle of three trees, was a deer hanging upside down that had had its throat cut and had been completely skinned. And it was just sitting there and there was no footprints around it, just blood directly underneath it and snow. But yeah, it sounds almost a little skinwalker related to me personally. Yeah. Well, yeah. I always get goosebumps well, <laughs> when I talk about those ones. But um, I guess I can jump to the you now if you want for ufos i can come back to cryptids anytime that you like because i have lots of those stories actually better yet um say we got a little while here still if you want to do a couple more cryptid stories and then we can hop into the other ones okay so let's go for let me see i wonder if i can try and remember the name of the lake if you want to, to um, the most, uh, let's say, like horrifying or most vivid cryptid story, possibly save for last. And then after that, we can hop into UFOs. Okay. So do you want that one now? Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. And then all this fails, we can always come back around to cryptids because I definitely love talking about cryptids. <laughs> okay. So this is another... So this one didn't necessarily happen in Utah, but it was where I learned about it was in Utah. Um, so I went to UVU, uh, Utah Valley University from 2008 to 2010. And I originally went to school for uh, criminal justice. And um, one of my professors was a what would you call him? Like an F the F one of the directors for the FBI. Mm-hmm. Super cool guy. Lots of crazy stories. So at this point he's almost 70 and he's just bored. So he's offered to teach these classes. And I was starting my job at the forest service early that year. Cause it was like a seasonal job. So when I wasn't in school, I was doing that. And I explained to him, I was like, hey, I'm going to miss the final because if I'm not there on my first day, they can technically like fire me, like let me go. Because I told them I could be there on that day, not knowing I had a final that day. And he was like, oh, if it's for work, I'm like, no, that's fine. And so I go to work that day and he tells me like, okay, come back on like Friday or Monday and you can just take the test in my office and I'll just sit in here with you. And I was like, oh, Okay. So I go back and uh, we started talking about um, Native American folklore. He loved, he loved, loved, loved like all of the, um, I guess, just Native stories, the, the drums, the singing, the, the spirituality of all of it. And 
I have lots of friends that are native. So he was asking me some questions and I can't remember exactly what brought it up. And he was like, so do you believe in some of the uh, more uh, strange beliefs or the strange things that some of the natives are afraid of? And I was like, are you talking about skinwalkers? And he was like, well, to, for a different word. And a lot of people use the word, um, uh, what's, I'm probably not going to pronounce it right, but I believe it's Yi Naldalushi is the way the natives say it here, which means he who runs on four legs in like direct, tra direct translation. Mm -hmm. So I apologize if I didn't say that correctly, but <laughs> And so I told him my story and the story I told you about the cabin. And he was like, well, do you want to hear some, are you comfortable with me telling you some stories? And I was like, oh yeah, definitely. Like, please. And so he starts telling me, he's like, I was very young. i had been working in the FBI for so long. And he was sent to a place near the four corners, but I believe it was more off the Utah border into Arizona. Um, I'd have to look up the, boundary to remember exactly what tribe it was um, I believe it was an Navajo tribe and he had been dispatched there because um, people were coming up missing and animals were being attacked in the night and they could not dis discover or find out what this was or what was killing all of these animals or causing these issues mm -hmm. and so he's like this is like my first real case so they they ship him out there and this was still very native like very um still held tight to their beliefs it was very like like mud hut straw roof um very um there's a word i'm looking for i just can't think of it right now like very traditional um, culture still and so he got there and he had a translator because they all spoke um, Navajo, if I remember correctly. So he's going around and interviewing some of the people there. And no one really wants to talk about, like, especially, well, natives especially, they don't like, they don't like talking about skinwalkers, period, because they believe that if they talk about them, they'll come for them or their family and their loved ones. Like if they talk about it openly, like they're terrified of it, which to me makes it feel, yeah which totally makes me feel even more real to, to me, if that makes sense. But so he says first night, he's like, I've got like a, he took like a, like a sleeping bag kind of setup. And I mean, if he was 70 in 2007, and if this happened when he was in his twenties, this would have been easily mid to late 1950s, you know, roughly if my, Miller high math is correct. <laughs> but so anyways, about that time frame and he's laying down in bed that night and his uh, translator is sleeping there somewhere close to him and something jumps up on the roof and it's like, like clawing around the roof and he's like, what the hell is that? And the, uh, the family that was in the back of this, this home comes running up. They're like, pointing at the ceiling and like saying like he doesn't know what it's saying and so the the translator starts saying he's saying they're, they're back it's back it's back this is it this is the thing this is it and he just started unloading into the ceiling just <laughs> and like what else what what like what are you gonna do you're gonna go out and try and say hi you know <laughs> so so he 
shoots holes through the ceiling and it runs off and they all go out to try and find what it is. And there was a tiny, tiny blood trail and then it just disappeared. And I honestly can't remember if I asked him about footprints or if he described them. That would be a question I would ask now, but not something I was thinking of back then. But anyways, the next morning, they wake up to this very distressed family and they're all just bawling. It was that family's uncle died that night because he got shot in the leg. And he only shot into the ceiling. He didn't shoot anywhere else. So. Like a family member was actually a skinwalker or a skinwalker was disguised as a family member almost that's kind of the direction so it's like in order to i mean according to my my research which is hard to find apparently to become a skinwalker to be like ordained with those kinds of dark powers if you will you have to spill family blood and not like grandma grandpa it's like brother sister mother father it's like very close-knit um for you to be able to obtain that. And then you go through some kind of a, a ritual. I don't know what that ritual is. Anytime I've researched it, that's usually about where it ends. Unless you know any other information on that, I, I don't. Probably one of those lost practices on purpose where they tried to leave it in the dark where nobody <laughs> can find it. Mm-hmm. Like the, le- the less information, the better. And so that's what I don't know. Was it? someone disguised as a family member or was it a family member that was going through the process and hadn't quite finished? Um, I don't know, but it was definitely him that was on the roof. It was definitely him that got shot, but what he looked like at that time, because it was nighttime, like, was he transforming? Was he still human? Was he, um, you know, like there's so many questions that you can ask and what the answer is. I don't know. See, I'm wondering if since it was the uncle, if he was in the process of trying to spill the family blood, as you said, and that's why he was at the mm-hmm. house and he was continuously coming back, waiting for the opportunity to do so. But he never mm-hmm. made the full transformation because he got shot first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I always think about these kinds of things, but these are like the conversations that I have on a daily basis with people. And they're just like, what? <laughs> so I feel like me and everybody on this podcast is in the same boat with that one. Anytime we talk about most topics that get brought up on this show, everybody looks at you like you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, I understand that completely. So I guess hopping into the, you now talking about UFO stories and I guess start with, okay. uh, ones that are very intriguing and then end with the one that you would say is the most uh i don't want to say horrifying but the most like i guess vivid of all of them okay and i feel like most people that you talk to feels or believes that they've had that experience i mean i don't know about you like have you ever had like a ufo experience or seen what you believe could have been me personally, there was one specific day that I was, I don't remember where I was at exactly, but I was looking in the sky and I saw three red dots and they were all close to each other, but they stayed in the same spot for about probably like 10 minutes or so. Cause I was sitting in a parking lot eating food. And then I watched all of them scatter into different directions and they're all in different spots in the sky. And then they all came back 
and then they all zipped out and went away. And it was me and my girlfriend that saw it. And that was probably the most relatable one that I was never able to explain. And if somebody can explain it, I'd love to hear it. But as far as I'm concerned, it's an unidentified flying object. Yeah, I would agree with you completely. So most, I have a very vivid one. And I don't know, I feel like I have a lot of experiences, but I've only had, I would say, I've had the one crazy UFO experience and I've had one that was just like, what was that? And like one when I was younger. So when I was growing up, I've always, like I got into ghosts and like that kind of paranormal stuff much later in life. I was, I was super into alien space and UFOs when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So growing up in this super small town where everyone knows everyone, I guess I've always just been known as the weird kid, which is fine. I don't care. Yes. And so in third grade and fourth grade, they have this mandatory project that you have to do. And they called it the great brain project. So um, in third grade, I did something on like the world and weather changes. And in fourth grade, I did UFO sightings. And my, my mom was like, she's really supportive of my weirdness, I guess, which is nice. So my mom took me to the library and she helped me find any books that she could find on, on UFOs and abductions. And she'd like read them to me. And like, cause some of them were like big, you know, for a fourth grader, it was a lot of information. So she would kind of dumb it down. That's where I could understand. And then she helped me draw them all out on this big, like, um, science project board and i did my um my little project and i presented it to my fourth grade class and at the time i thought oh you know everyone loved that that was so cool and now everyone's gonna think i'm cool no it it didn't happen that way (laughs) but shortly after um i was living at the same place my parents live now and I was sitting on the porch and looking, I was looking west towards, um, um, they kind of lived off of um, Main Street. And so I'm looking this direction and I see this, and it always kind of pisses me off because all the sightings I've had, except for one, have always been the standard, like, like cylinder round shape that's like, woo, <laughs> which kind of bugs me, but that's what I saw. And I see it move across. And um, my grandpa was home. My grandpa lived next door. And so I run across to his house. I'm like, Did you look, look at that. And he's like, he's like, it's a plane. I was like, planes don't move like that, grandpa. That's not a plane. And that was like my very first one. But um, growing up around here, we have, so I live in Millard County. So it's the largest landmass with the least amount of people. So there's only like 10,000 people in our entire county mm-hmm. and we all live like right here. And then the rest of our county is like military airspace because it's all over a desert. So you can like ride your, you can drive and stuff and be on the ground through our desert. But when you go up like anything over 700 feet, it's all military airspace. And which I, I've never seen any military vehicles, but. I've also never gone all the way out there either, but so a lot of people kind of describe the same thing that you saw. Um, they'll see um, just little 
circles, what look like little stars that are close. And then they'll start dancing around and they'll all like disperse at once. So they'll just vanish in one spot. Um, my crazy one, I was, um, I've had a lot of jobs. Sorry. <laughs> but I, got hired to, I got hired to do a two week security detail for very good pay. And I was only like 20, 23, 23, 24. And there was a film company that came through and they were filming all of this stuff on the desert. So not quite to where um, the military airspace was or anything like that, but close, like 20 miles away, probably. And so uh, we're stationed by, so we have lots of dormant volcanoes. So it's weird, like the landscape we have like directly behind my house is all like these lush green mountains and snow and pine trees and it's just beautiful and then you turn around and it's just desert <laughs> just sand sagebrush volcanoes and volcanic rock just everywhere and so we're stationed between these three just big volcanoes and they look like one looks just like a pyramid and there's two broken up volcanoes that like blew their top off whenever they last erupted and it was our first night so our boss came out with us until like 11 o'clock that night and he was like okay are you guys okay like i'll be back out here at five like six in the morning um stay awake don't let anyone touch this equipment Okay, easy enough, right? For a 23, 24-year-old, it was really easy to stay up back then. <laughs> and so we're just hanging out, listening to, like, we just brought a bunch of metal CDs. So we're just out there jamming. It was basically we're being paid to just have a good time and watch for people. <laughs> like, it was, it was my, and about two in the morning, my friend's like, do you, do you see this right now? And we're sitting in his truck. So like he's over here and I'm I'm over here, and he's just like, do you do you see this? And I'm like, I don't see anything. He's like, you you got you got to see this. So I try to like maneuver myself around, but I can't see whatever he's seeing. So I get out of the truck, and he's gotten out of the truck now, and he's just staring standing there, just staring up above this um, the larger volcano that's right next to us, and probably 200 feet up is this pulsing just cylinder and it's it's moving but it's moving slow and it was pulsing these different colors on the very bottom and i always i can never really remember exactly what the colors were but i remember them being kind of like a bluish green like yellow and they it wasn't that there was like three different colors it was that they'd they'd change as as it pulsed if that makes sense mm -hmm. and we just stood there and watched this and it was probably like two, two thirty in the morning at this point. And we're just like, it's not, it's not going anywhere. And we can kind of watch it like move up and down and maybe to the side, but it was never like this fast moving. It was like, it was observing something. And the next thing we know, our boss is pulling up behind us and we're both asleep in his truck and it's six o'clock. And we have no idea how the hell we got there. Like so, almost like an abduction story almost. Cause a lot of people say they don't so, remember how they got there when that happened. Mm -hmm. And so 
like I've had one of my cousins is super into this stuff too. And she wants me to like go get hit, like hypnotherapy and see if I can like rediscover those, those hours. Like what happened? Like I was like one, we on when I talked to my friend about it, he's like very like, Nope, nothing happened. It was never there. Don't talk to me. Like he completely denies the entire thing. I'm like, but where, like, where did the time go? Like, we didn't have the same dream. We didn't see the same, you know what I mean? Like we had the same experience. Yeah. We can't just write it off as it didn't happen because it did. I'm sorry that you don't want to believe that it happened anymore, but it did. And how did we get there? Where did we go? What happened? Like, I've never felt different. If that makes sense. Like, I don't feel like. Almost like a men in black thing where it's like your memory gets almost wiped. So you can't remember any of it anyways. Yeah. But I'd say most people's stories of UFOs around here. Like I haven't talked to another one that's had like that close of one, like I had, at least not from around here, like at different conventions and different places like that, people will tell you all kinds of like stories and experiences that they've had. But as far as around here, it's mostly people just see things from afar and things disappear or they bolt off in different directions or they all come back into one and then just vanish. Yeah. I've always heard of people almost being like totems and it sounds like since you're probably one of the only people in your area that's aware of these types of things, they start showing themselves to people who are aware. So it's almost like you're a magnet for everything in your area to Mm -hmm. want to manifest around you and show itself, you know, and in turn, other people end up seeing it too. And that's why they see it off in the distance and such. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So now going into the paranormal part, uh, I'm sure you have a lot of these stories. So I guess start off with, uh, I guess a few of your most most solid ones that have the best evidence to them and then end with your most crazy story, I guess you would say. Okay. So let's see if I still had my notes on here. So we, there's a, there's a lot of um, haunted places here where I live. There's actually an entire block and I've just started to get permissions. It's funny. Like I've been on, a few podcasts and every time I'm so excited to tell them about this project that I want to work on, but haven't gotten permission like from the the owners to do it yet. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten permission for three buildings now, but we have an entire block that is just haunted as mess. Just so there's on. So Fillmore was founded basically by Mormon pioneers in like the 18, I want to say the 1860s, 1870s, I could be wrong. But so on this one block, it was the very center of town because the the town is built on like a grid system. And they wanted the very center of town to have the Capitol building, the schoolhouse, and there was like a jail was like everything was everything that you needed was all right here. Mm-hmm. And so we still have the original state house, which was the uh, so Fillmore was the original capital of Utah, but because there wasn't enough water here, they changed it to Salt Lake, which I'm fine with because I like my small town. <laughs> <laughs> but so they have all these things there. And so people have built on to these different areas and 
for whatever reason, they just have each one has its own unique thing that happens to them. So one area is like a 19, uh, 1920s hotel that's just been redone and redone, and remodeled. So it's still there. Um, there's an event center right next to it. Um, the other was an old armory that they've now turned into a rec, rec center, but it used to house like tanks and weapons and like all this crazy stuff. And right next to that is a city building, which um, years and years ago was a hospital. So if you look at it from the air, it's a giant H. So you had the city offices over here and you have a hallway and then it was a library. But back in the day, it was the hospital, then a hallway and then the morgue. So the, um, the place where the city offices are now, like the secretaries is the morgue <laughs> or was at a time, the morgue. And they're always like, Hey, this place is scary. And so I have permission now to go into the library, the city offices and the old armory. And um, so we have like that entire block, like there's a swimming pool. Um, they actually tore down the old jail. So the basement was the jail with all holding cells. And then above that was offices. So in the nineties, they turned the upstairs into a restaurant. I also worked at was a pizza place in an arcade and then the basement, like whenever I'd have to go down to get supplies, the bars weren't there anymore, but they still had the big old slats in the side of the wall. They'd like ring the steel bar through so no one could escape. Mm -hmm. So like there was that, but now it's been tore down and they filled it full of dirt. So I, I missed out on that opportunity. And then there's the World War II Legion Hall and the original courthouse. So... On this entire block, you have all of these different things where all of these different or all these different places where all these different things were happening. So people in the courthouse will hear people crying. They'll hear people pacing, pacing the floor back and forth. They'll hear people talking. Um, the custodians that clean these buildings at night always feel like they're not alone. They'll um, they'll hear people talking to them. Some have heard their names called out. Like it's, you know, just until you've experienced it for yourself, I guess, it's hard to describe how eerie it is to hear something or someone say your name that you can't see. Yeah. If, it's a definitely a horrifying thing to even imagine. <laughs> Yeah. And so um, in the armory, um, the upstairs, they had um, all these bunks and stuff set up for um, if soldiers came through town or if they needed a place to rest, they had like this upstairs barracks because it was also surrounded by windows. So if there was enemies or anything like that, they could, the people that were awake could see. And so they, they called him the drill sergeant, like people that still worked there because um, it continued to be owned by the army and then the national guard. And they'd still go up there to take a nap when it was like their break. And they would hear the sound of those shoes just walking around. And then they'd hear them like abruptly stop, like right side their bed, like, you know, like get, like get attention, like, you know, just imagining this crazy drill sergeant coming over to scream at you, except they could never hear 
like voices. It was always just the sound of him like marching around this barracks. Um, but so I finally have permission to do those three. I'm super excited. But, but the last place that we did um, is a hotel and resort that we have. It's a hotel that's built on a golf course. Um, it has a swimming pool. Um, before COVID, it had a restaurant. It kind of struggled during COVID, especially in a small town. So the restaurant now only serves breakfast to the people that are staying at the hotel. They don't serve the public anymore until they can get more people working there again. And um, one of my team members, her name is Stephanie. She worked as a um, like a clerk there in the 90s. And there's a it's two stories. And so you had the offices upstairs and then the um the downstairs area was where the people would like, come and check themselves into the hotel and so her office was upstairs and they would um get poked um get their hair pulled it was very angry um spirits or poltergeist if you will and stephanie made a joke and she named the spirit poke and haunt us because that's what it would do. It would poke and haunt us. <laughs> so, so she started calling it poke and haunt us. And this was in the nineties and we've always wanted to like Stephanie always told me stories of like, she'd come to work um, shortly after she named the ghost there poke and haunt us. She came to work the next day and all of her desk had been cleared off and thrown all over the floor and no one else's desks had been touched. Just, Things like that, like it could move stuff, it could throw stuff, it could touch you, poke you, scratch you. It had all of the above, right? And so she um, just told me all those stories because I also worked with her. I still work with her occasionally. And so I get permission. The, the manager is one of my old like uh, Boy Scout leaders from when I was a kid. And he was like, hey, do you want to come do your, your thing out here? And I was like, yes. Like, I've been trying to get permission forever. And he's like, well, they're remodeling right now. And we're afraid that whatever it is might be attached to some of the items that we've had in these offices. So we want you to come and check it out before everything's gone. Because, you know, like, what if, what if the spirit left, you know, with whatever it was that they had there at the time mm -hmm. and so they had emptied out mostly one room and all of the stuff was still in this other room and so it was kind of an empty space there was like some chairs and stuff in there and so I went in and I set up uh, my wife bought me a device that's called a scare bear um, it um, detects um, movement uh, shadows touch and EMF readings around it. And it has a different sound for whatever it is that's that it's sensing at that time. Mm -hmm. So I was super excited to try this out, right? So my first, um, she gave it to me that day. So I was like, yes, I get to use this tonight. And so take it in and I set it up on this chair and um, we've had a little bit of a session. Like I've tried to get EVPs, which is electric voice phenomena for anyone that doesn't know. It's when you're, you use a very sensitive recorder that's sensitive enough to um, obtain that voice that's trying to speak to you. Mm -hmm. 
And those are super cool to hear for yourself too. And I've got my night vision camera all set up. And the thing I like about my, my night vision camera, it's more, I wouldn't call it like, even, I wouldn't even really call it night vision. I call it more like IR, like infrared light more. You can kind of change it to gray, to purple, to red. I like to leave it on kind of like a gray. And I feel it, the light that it gives out for the camera, because you can't see it with your naked eye, but it bounces off things in a way that makes it so you can see movement clearly. And I'm trying to get whatever is in there to go and touch the bear. <laughs> I'm like, like, like there's a bear over there. Like if you get close to it and we have a, a program running on one of our phones, that's called a paratech that does what we would describe as, I guess, digital dousing. So there's thousands and like tens of thousands of words in a word bank. And it's believed that the spirit can use word bank to engage you in conversation and to, to lead you towards the right questions to ask things like that. Sometimes you can get names, like all these different things from it. So I always try and confirm it with either an EVP or uh, um, like using dousing rods to get yes and no's. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just trying to get this because we've made contact. We've used dousing rods. We've gotten some EVPs. I'm like, okay, like now let's go to the bear. And um, Stephanie's paratech goes off and it's like, no, it's like, yes. Because <laughs> like you want to be respectful because you don't want to piss them off because mm -hmm. I've seen what happens when you do that. I'm like, just go, just come on. You can do it, buddy. Go touch that bear. And so I'm like, okay. And I can't remember exactly what I say. And this is one of our last videos on Instagram. Like I just posted it maybe maybe a month ago and at least from that investigation mm -hmm. and I say can you please go over by that bear and all of a sudden you see all of these tiny orbs would be the best way to describe it. a lot of people don't like that term I use that term because it's easier for people to understand orbs you know what I mean what's and the they industry all, term uh, industry term, they would just say that orbs aren't real and orbs are fake. So when you so, be considered part of it, I guess. Yeah. So they would, they would say like, oh, that's dust particles. Like, dust particles don't listen to exactly what you're asking them to do. Right. And so I'm like, can you go towards that bear? And it says, no. I was like, can you please, like, it's, it's not here to hurt you. We're not here to hurt you. We're just trying to make contact with you. Can you please go towards the bear? And you watch all of these orbs just convulge and start going into the bear from all angles of the room. And you can just watch it just diving into this bear. And it, we get a, a EVP of a British man. And he says, pardon, sir. But in a very thick, very British accent, none of us are British, none of us are from the UK, we're all very rural, we all have hickey little accents, <laughs> like, and so you get this, pardon, sir, and none of us heard it at that time, and so when I'm going through the video footage, and what I do is I layer the, the audio recordings over my video recording, so I can look for 
differences because my recorder is so much more sensitive than my video recorder is that I get a lot more on that. And so that was one of like our last ones to me that had the, some of the best evidence. And then we were able to ask it to go over by other devices. It still wouldn't go towards the bear and turn on the bear, but we have video of all those orbs like convulging on the bear, which was cool but we got it to go. We have like little motion sensing cat balls and things like that. And they'll just flash different colors or um, different lights. But um, you have to, you have to touch them to get them to go off. You can't just like wave your hand over them. You know, like yeah. you have to physically tap them to make them move or to make them change colors. I think I can hop in to another story um i'm just trying to think of um i have so many i always try and whittle them down i guess into some different ones so i guess i have a lot before i started doing this that kind of helped lead me into what i do now that was going to be another question actually was like what led you into it so two birds one stone perfect okay so um we all have different experiences um, at some point in our life. For me, they started really young. And the hardest part about having those experiences, like I had very supportive um, parents when I would try and talk to them about things, but they were also very, um, ah, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say like non-believing. Skeptical. Very skeptical. That's a good term. So I'd be like, this is what I saw, or this is what happened. And it was instantly, it was a wild imagination. Like that, that's all that is. You just have a wild imagination. Um, you're thinking of all these, these things in your head. Like you're making yourself see these things because you're thinking about them kind of thing. Or is it the opposite that you um, see them because you think about them? Yeah. And so one particular night and I think I've only ever told this on one other podcast. I can't remember for sure. Perfect. Almost but... an exclusive story. <laughs> so, sorry, I was, I was pretty young. I was probably 10, 9 or 10 years old. And um, we had just moved into our new house. And um, I believe it was, it was cold. I remember it had to have been winter because I had a lot of blankets and I had the corner bedroom in the house. So my room was always cold, which I preferred because I was always hot. Um, but, um, so I woke up in the middle of the night and so to kind of describe my bed. So, um, my door, like if you came right into my room and opened my door there, I had, uh, a wall right here. There was no dressers. It was just my bed in the middle. I had a, a little twin bed and I had a, one of those old school tube TVs that you thought you were so cool that you had, even though they were only like 12 inches big. I remember getting one out of a car <laughs> one day when I was like six and thought it was yeah. like at home, set it up with a, uh, the wire hanger. <laughs> I had the, the Super Nintendo hooked up to it so I could play Mario like right next to the screen because that's the only way you could see it. <laughs> and um, so if you're looking in from my door, I had two windows right here and then I had a single window that was 
um, across this way by my closet. So my bed faced this little window and I woke up and I remember like, I never had blackout curtains or anything like that as a kid. Um, so it was always just the blinds that we had and I see something and it's like hunched over. And I remember seeing long hair and I did the, like, like I'm laying in bed and I'm trying to figure out like, what is this? Do I, do I say anything? Do I do anything? Do I ask, do I call out, you know, to my parents? Like, what do I do? And I decided to just watch it for a second. And so I watch it and I see as it starts to turn and in my head, I'm like, nope, not today. Nope. Not looking at you right now. And so I got into my bed. I, well, I was already in my bed. So I laid sideways and I covered my, my eyes with the blanket, but I left my mouth out so I could breathe. And I felt something kind of crawl up on the bed and I felt something tickle my mouth. And then I just covered my whole face and I just went to sleep. I was like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. And so I try and explain that to my mom, like the next morning. And she's like, there wasn't some old lady in your room with hair, you know? And I'm like, there was, there was. And so I told this story to um, one of my, um, now she's one of my team members, her Stephanie, I talked about her earlier. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, you got visited by the old hag. And I was like, what? She was like, the old hag. And so we're at work. So she jumps on the computer and she's pulling up all these stories. And most of them were related to um, night terrors. There's another one, like sleep paralysis. Oh, like the where people will wake up and they'll, yeah, and they'll like see something like holding them into the bed and they'll, they have this scary looking hair. And I was like, no, mine was like a big, like a, a healthy witch she had she was a big looking witch with long hair and but she the more she explained it she's like no that's like this this story the old nag and i can't remember exactly how the story goes but that's how she explained it to me that was one of my i guess my very first instances that i got or like visually that i saw something um so as time went on, I would have just little things here and there. Um, I had a friend that he scared easy and I kind of liked to mess with him sometimes. <laughs> and he thought that I was, he thought I was messing with him and I wasn't. So we're in that same house and um, we kept hearing these like, like knocks. And I'm like, like, we're the only ones in my house and we're like 13 and so I remember being like, hey, like, let's try and talk to whatever that is. And he's like, no, let's not. And I'm like, if, like, let's try. And he's like, well, you do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, hey, if there's someone here, I think I saw it on a, a movie or like a paranormal show. I don't know. Because I don't think I would have consciously been able to think about it on the spot at that age. Mm -hmm. But maybe I did, but. I don't want to credit myself for it because I really think I saw it on a show and I was like, Hey, like if you're there, if someone's talking to us, can you knock again? And it knocked. And I was like, uh, <laughs> if you want to talk to us, can you knock twice? 
I about shit my pants. I just remember we ran out, it was winter. We ran outside. We weren't wearing jackets or anything. We're just standing outside in the snow. Just like, what do we do? <laughs> do we tell it to go away? <laughs> I remember he said something like, let's pray it away. I'm like, I don't know if that works. <laughs> so we so we stay outside for a little while. My dad comes home and he's like, what are you doing? And my friend's like, your house is haunted. And my dad's like, our house isn't haunted. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure our house is haunted. My dad's like, our house isn't haunted. And then my friend left. He just like literally grabbed his shit and ran home. And I was just, and then it was just me and my dad. And I wasn't going to go inside and be like, do you want to talk to my dad? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So uh, the next one I was going to tell you. So I grew up, I mean, I grew up in Utah. I grew up in a fairly religious town. Um, most people are um, LDS, Catholic, Protestant, Baptist. Like we have lots of different Christian religions here, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I grew up around that and I still um, follow, you know, my, my beliefs. And so when I was, oh man, how old was I? So when I was about 20, 23, I believe I turned 23, um, I decided to, and this is kind of a, um, what's the word? I don't share this story very often. So this, this might be a first timer. So here's an exclusive story. (laughs) Here's an exclusive story. So, um, I served a mission for my church when I was 23 till I was about 25. And I did it in California. And there was a, um, I was, I guess you could say a different missionary in a sense. Like a lot of people kind of go out and I feel like they force religion on people. And that's not, it's not what I'm about. I like, I like talking to people about things that I believe and things like that. But I don't ever want people to feel like I'm telling them they have to believe what I believe because I don't believe in that if that makes sense yeah and so um we would be walking around and this would happen all the time so on in january i remember it was new year's i got in a really bad bike accident and if i wouldn't have been wearing my helmet i probably would be dead or vegetable right now so even though i hated wearing my helmet i'm glad i was wearing it that day and um Shortly after that, um, my injury was bad enough that I could just walk everywhere. I couldn't, um, they didn't want to risk me getting in like another accident. So, um, I walked everywhere and we lived in a place called Lodi in California. It's just, uh, South of Sacramento, maybe 50 miles. And, um, so we'd be walking around and no joke, people would always just be like, Hey, there's something happening in my house. There's something crazy going on. And they just come running out and be like, Hey, like, do you guys, do you guys deal with this? And me with my fascination that I'd already had growing up, um, even within, you know, my religion, I was like, I want to, I want to go see what's going on, <laughs> you know? And so I, uh, we would go to the house and they would, um, 
talk to us about some of the things that were happening in their home. And at that time, I felt very, um, I guess you could say, kind of closer to the spirit realm because um, we we didn't have anything. We didn't watch TV. We didn't watch the news. We didn't read newspapers. We didn't read magazines. Um, we were very, we were in the world, but we weren't paying attention to the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it was like the most grounded that I ever felt in my entire life for those two years, because you just weren't aware of all of the nasty stuff going on in the world. You had no idea unless someone told you about it. That was the only way you found out. And so I felt like I would, I had more experiences similar to um, what I'd had growing up more often and more vividly because I felt more close, I guess, to like, if that makes sense when I say like a spirit realm. And so we go into this first house and I had done this before and like people like, Oh, there's something happening. We'd go in, we'd say a prayer with them and they would feel better. And then we would leave. But this was like, this was like the house. And so we go in and as we walk in, I look up and as you walk in the door, there's a set of stairs right here. And then there was like a living area that led like into a little door that led into what looked like a kitchen. Cause we really were only in that first little room. And this lady comes in, she's like, please like sit down. Um, something's wrong with my dad. And she was probably in her thirties. Dad's probably close to his, you know, sixties, sixties, seventies. And they're obviously taking care of him. Uh, but what I forgot to mention. So we came inside and I looked up the stairs and at the top of the stairs, I can see this, like, I don't want to call it a black mass because I could see through it, but it was this floating looking gas that was outside of this door. And I learned later that I was the only one that could see it at that time because I asked the other missionary that I was with later. And I asked, like, we came back to the home later and I asked the the mother or the, the daughter, however you want to describe it, um, if she had ever seen it. And the answer was no. But anyway, so she sits us down on the couch and starts talking about how my dad's been weird lately. He's very angry. Um, he's never been this way before. He doesn't have dementia. He doesn't have um, any of these uh, mental disorders or uh, not disorders, but any of these mental health crises. He's mm-hmm. never had these like she they've been to the doctor they've been it's not showing up on any of these um devices or x-rays or cat scans whatever you want to whatever they were using and i was like okay um like like what's he doing and she was like he'll talk like strangely he talks down to me um he talks down to other people in the home and that's not like him he's never done that before Um, He's always been a very kind, like a very loving um, father, like grandfather cares about everyone. And I was like, well, I feel like you have something here. And I wasn't like, it's it's right there. (laughs) I was like, there's something here. I don't know what it is. I don't feel good. Like, do you feel good in the house? And she's like, no. And so anyways, um, I gave what's called a home blessing where you basically like bless the home, bless the area and cast out anything that may be evil from the home. 
And um, the missionary I was with had never had an experience like this before. And I had, but not to the extent of what was about to happen. And so um, I got down on my knees and I said this blessing. And I remember the second I, I closed the blessing and said, amen, you felt this whoosh come from the top of the the home, which was by these stairs. And it went through the blinds and broke the blinds and the blinds like split in half and just like poof, out the, just out the window. And I was like, Oh, uh, um, <laughs> and she was like, does that happen all the time? And I was like, I, I've never, I've never had that happen. Usually you feel like peaceful or something afterwards, something like that. But then all of a sudden dad, comes out of the room upstairs and he starts walking downstairs and he's talking to his daughter. And he's just like, he's like, Oh, I feel like I haven't seen any of you for a long time. Like, how's everything been going completely normal? Like nothing had ever happened. Like nothing was ever wrong. He was completely sane. He was happy again. We went and visited him again, like a week later, because we would always walk by their house. And sure enough, they were like, like, yeah, whatever that was or whatever you did um helped here and so the next place that i lived when i was um on my mission in california was a place called placerville and are you familiar with placerville at all no i'm not i'm from all in michigan (laughs) okay so it's in um el dorado county so it's um it's about the only it's where California gets high enough that they start to get snow. Mm-hmm. So it's in more of a Northern California area. And um, me and my, um, the other missionary I was with, um, his name was Travis. And this apartment that we had was just kind of like, you always felt kind of off. Like it, there was just something wrong there. And we didn't know if it was like just the neighborhood or, like there wasn't very many people that liked us. We weren't ever really treated very well. <laughs> and so um, we're, we're in uh, our room one night and like, we don't, we pay for it ourselves while we're there. So we don't have very much money. So we, ha- we live in pretty you know, like small areas, small apartments. Mm-hmm. So you're always sharing everything. So we had this tiny room and we had two twin beds and mine was up against this wall and his was against this wall. And his bed faced this way into the bathroom and my bed faced the other way, uh, this way, I guess, and looked that I had a window in front of my bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's probably like 10 o'clock at night. And we usually went to bed pretty early because we were like required technically to get up at the same time every day. We had like this routine. And he's in bed and he starts laughing. He's like, oh, hey, dude, he's from Florida. like stop touching me I was like I'm not touching you like no (laughs) he's like I'm I'm serious bro stop touching me and so I start banging on the wall that I'm because I'm laying next to it and he's like um dude (laughs) I was like what and remember I'm facing this way and he's facing this way into that bathroom Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the room starts to fill with this green light And I wouldn't call it a light. I would call it more of like a dismal fog kind of like, 
Like you could tell that the color was green, but it wasn't a bright light. Yeah. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. And I look over at him and he's just sitting up in his bed and he's staring into the bathroom or that direction. And he's just white as a ghost. And I can just see like the color of his face just through this, this green color that I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, what's wrong? And he's, he's not talking. And I was like, if I turn around, like, am I going to freeze too? Like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening right now. And so he's still looking in the bathroom and I start yelling at him, trying to break him out of whatever state he's in, whether it's fear, whether it's a trance, like whatever it is, I'm just trying to break him out of it. So I start yelling his name and I keep hitting the wall and I'm like, you need to get up and turn on the light. Cause like, I can't end up where you are right now. You know, like that's what I'm thinking in my head. Like if I end up where you are right now, what's going to happen to us? Cause I don't know what's going on. And he, I finally break him out of the trance and he jumps up, runs towards the light switch. Cause it's over by the bathroom and just turns the lights on and then runs back, goes into the other room where we had one couch and he's just sitting in there with a blanket. And I've at this time I've ran in there too. The lights gone, whatever was there was gone. Now we've gone into the other room and he's sitting on the couch, all like terrified. And I called our um like one of our leaders. And I was like, uh, I don't know what to do right now. And this is what just happened. And I didn't see it. And they're like, well, did Travis see it? And I'm like, well, yeah, um, he's, he's struggling right now, <laughs> you know? And so I talked to him and I'm like, Hey, like, do you want to tell him about like what you saw? And he's like, okay. And um, when he was able to like, start like talking well again, he described it as um, what looked like a human mass that had no legs like it had the shape that would go down to legs but then there was nothing like down here like the rest of his the legs were gone and it was wearing what looked like a greenish cloak and it had yellow eyes <laughs> and he's like he's trying to describe it and i remember the way he described it because it made me laugh and i i feel bad making light of his situation at that time but when he was explaining it, he was like, have you ever seen like a uh, Scooby-Doo? <laughs> like, I was like, oh my gosh, are you serious right now? And I was like, yes, yes, I've seen it. He's like, you know that, that one episode where they get chased by the green phantom? <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, it looked like that, but scary. Like, not cartoony, like terrifying. And that's how he described it. But so we ended up getting a new apartment and um, I never felt that presence again. Mm -hmm. I never saw it. And he, of course, told everybody about it. They're like, you know, like, just maybe kind of keep it to yourself. Don't like, don't share that with a lot of people. And he's just like, everyone, <laughs> this happened. <laughs> and so they started calling us the exorcists. I was like, we didn't exercise anything. Like, I felt like we've, I felt more like an exorcist in the other area when I watched the blinds break in half and something shoot through the window than I did there. Cause there, I just felt like scared. Cause I was like, I don't know what to do right now. I don't know how to react. And 
but we can hop more into the evidence-based ones and then I'll tell you one other scary one that happened. Um, really the one that jump-started me into not just being a um, like a hobbyist and actually started doing it for real, I guess. But so the area we went to before the paradise is um, a place called the Gunnison Bend Massacre. So uh, usually I'm really good with the history, but I usually review it again before I talk about it. So I apologize if I have any of these statistics wrong. But there was a survey team out in the desert and they were, I believe, working on a railroad and some kind of like a water system. Like they were tracking out how they were like mapping out how they were going to make it happen. Because we do have like through the desert, we have lots of different, like we have everything you can think of. We have everything from lakes to swamps mm -hmm. to sand hills to volcanic rock to like we have everything that you can think of it's insane and so this group is out there and they are uh, preparing all of um, their studies and making their maps and they get attacked um, i can't remember exactly who they were attacked by i believe it was um, some of the natives in the area but I don't want to put blame on the wrong people, so don't quote me right now. Um, so they're attacked, all killed, and they're in a mass grave. Um, so where I live, I live off of, well, I should, it's not by where I live, it's like 10 miles from where I live, but we have Highway 50 that runs through um, our county and takes you into California through Nevada into California. And um, as you get past a town called Delta, um, there's a little dirt road that takes you out to it. And as you turn left, you go until you run into this big stone, um, kind of looks like a, like a spire that you'd see in like a, like a medieval video game. And underneath that, is believed to have all of the bodies of this mass grave. I believe there was eight to 10 people that were buried there. And um, at the time, I didn't know that that was the actual grave marker. I thought that it was just in the vicinity, like that's where it was. So I'd like to go back and do stuff right on the actual grave marker. But we went on a maybe a half mile hike to the east of it. And there's a little riverbed that runs through there and just a bunch of trees. And so we set up our camp chairs and started trying to get some EVPs. And we had a new girl with us that night that's wanted to join our team. And I was like, well, this is the perfect place to do it because like, if you really want to do this, this is probably going to be where we can get some stuff or get you, I guess, what you want to see or what you want to experience. Cause there's never a guarantee no matter where you go, sometimes you don't get anything. And so we try for some EVPs, we get different voices and we even get one saying her name and her name is Kayla. Mm -hmm. And, um, cause we always start by introducing ourselves to, so it wasn't like they didn't know her name because she introduced herself but that's always something I wonder about too. Like, did they already know your name <laughs> kind of a thing? But so anyways, um, 
we did for the very first time a method that I had never tried before. Uh, it's called the Estes method. So it's uh, sensory deprivation, more or less. So you're encouraged to cover your face or close your eyes or put a hood on. Um, so most people will put a hoodie on backwards. So the hood will go up over their face mm -hmm. and then you wear, you wear headphones and you plug those headphones into a spirit box. So you're the only one that can hear um, the responses and the other people, because you can't hear what they're saying because you're hearing like white noise and radio stations. If you choose to scan the, spirit box and it's 10 o'clock at night in the middle of the desert there's no one else out there there's no cars there's no life out there besides coyotes and rabbits and whatever other creatures decided to come visit us that night mm -hmm. and so I was like we've never done this before like I'll try it first and so I just moved my chair away from them I set everything up and I just turned it up as loud as I could handle. So I couldn't hear them. And I just closed my eyes and I always, I usually always have my hat on so I couldn't see like their mouse moving or what they were saying. So that was how I, I guess, deprived my senses. We've since improved how to do that because that was our first time, you know? Yeah. And I didn't know what questions they were ask, asking me, but I still very vividly remember all of the voices that I got were all male. And it was stop, get away, don't do that, stop, you're hurting me, think of my family, things like that. Those are words that you're not going to be picking up on a talk show radio host program at 10 o'clock at night in the middle of the desert that only gets two radio stations, you know. Yeah, like these, I, I truly believe that they were legitimate voices that we were getting from spirits beyond the grave. And Kayla, the new girl, she was like, I, I want to try this. And I was like, are you sure? Like, I know this is your first time and I know you're excited, but this can like, if you're not ready for it, it could bother you. And she was like, no, no, I want to do it. And I was like, okay. And so I did the same thing. She went and sat in the chair I was in, I got her all set up. And all of her responses were all female and it was screaming and crying and stop and don't do that to me. Like reliving like these horrendous events. Mm -hmm. And we're asking questions like, oh, like how many were out here? Like, are you okay? Um, do you want to leave? Do you feel trapped here? But the only responses we were getting was terror, crying, and screams. And then Kayla started like crying, like legitimately crying. And I went and tapped her on the shoulder. I was like, okay, like you're you're done. You're done. Like we're not trying to cause you any <laughs> trauma <laughs> or anything like, like that here, you know, like it's the last thing I want to do to someone that actually wants to do this crazy shit that we do with us. And so we um we ended it there. Um, but when I got home and was able to, so I use, have you heard of audacity? Yeah. It's a, so yeah, free audio program that we all love because we don't have much money that do this. Cause most of us do it for free. <laughs> and, um, so I drag all of my audios into audacity. And if you zoom in, um, to the actual file, you'll see where the spikes are. 
So if you're sitting in silence and all of a sudden you're seeing these spikes, that's where you focus. And so you just chop that area and you like raise the sound. You can adjust the static so you can get rid of the white noise in the background and then you just get the voice. And it's crazy, especially when I heard Kayla's name but like we've had other places where there was a mine shaft that um, caved in on people and we were able to like get their last words, like their experience on in the same method. Uh, no, we actually just had our digital recorder out and we were just like asking questions. And while we were just asking questions and things like that, we were gaining like this experience um one was like oh no the water's coming or like i love you like it was always like things that you and i guess say to someone that you care about right before you die like and it, those ones are hard to explain until you i guess you hear them um a lot of the things that we do we do for people in their homes and in businesses so we post like 10 percent of what we do and the other 90% is just sitting on a hard drive at my house because um, I feel not so much legally, but they are still clients. You know, yeah. I respect them. I respect their privacy. So when I, when we do stuff at their house, I make them a video and I burn it to a DVD and I give all of it to them. And we do it all for free. Like the only thing I had ever charged for is like, if you didn't have a storage device and you just wanted me to put it on one of mine, I would just charge you for that storage device. So I could buy me another one, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess before we start wrapping up here um, with all the topics that we've covered today, do you feel that they're connected? And if so, how do you feel that they're connected? That's the hard thing for me because I do, I do believe that they are all connected. Um, the hardest part is trying to, I guess, like for me, I have, I have those three that I focus on: cryptids, UFOs, aliens, if you will, and paranormal experiences, whether it be hauntings or um, poltergeist activity. But I feel um, the um, a lot of skinwalker stuff I can also attach to religion, not necessarily my religion, but like native beliefs. Um, you can find where it's grounded. You can find where it came from. You might not be able to understand exactly how they came about because like, kind of like you said, it's better to keep those um, ceremonies or rituals, if you will, in the darkness. So other people aren't trying to do that themselves. Because if we can find them, um, I'm sure some other people that don't need to find them could find them. <laughs> yeah, easily, I'm sure. And like the dark web, I'm sure it's there. I'm just not going to go look. <laughs> not know? worth the chance. <laughs> but uh, UFOs is, I think, where it gets the hardest. Because um, I completely believe that there is other life out there. I don't think that we are the only intelligent life form. I think we're actually probably... I don't want to use the word dumber, but I feel like there are other life forms that are eons above what we are now. And they come here just to check us out like a zoo. Yeah, that <laughs> like, let's, go, let's go see what the humans are doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But 
So for me, I feel definitely that a lot of cryptid and paranormal activities are connected. But the one that in my mind that I can't explain is the UFO theory, alien theory, where they come from, how do they get here, what are we to them, um, can they travel, is there interdimensional? That's what I was going to say. I've heard a lot about interdimensional stuff lately when it comes to that topic. Mm-hmm. Like even in the paranormal realm, they talk a lot about um, portals and testing portals. And they've come up with a technique using a, basically a smoke machine and a, um, what are they called? Tesla coils to test portals. And it's one that I never really understood. And I'd really like them to try it on the Queen Mary before they get rid of it. Apparently, the Queen Mary has um, two of the largest believed portals and one in the swimming pool area. But what they'll do is they'll get a fog machine and put it in front of it. And you'll watch as the smoke starts to swirl and it doesn't it doesn't come on the other side. It stays right here and it swirls and disappears, like dissipates into something that is believed to be a door to either you know another dimension or another um i don't want to use the word realm because then i feel like i'm in mortal combat but (laughs) (laughs) yeah like a separate plane but you have to be at a certain state to be able to cross into that plane i don't i don't know i mean i have i have theories and i have thoughts but i don't have facts when it comes to that you know i think that's really all a lot of us do have in that that area is like we have theories and we have beliefs but how do you prove it you know i mean same with a lot of physics and a lot of a lot of different things actually it's more so theories but they're theories that make sense so all we can do Mm -hmm. is keep working at them and one day maybe we'll figure them out a little bit more yeah but I guess to close up here, if anybody was trying to get a hold of you uh, for investigations or they want to look up your videos that you said you were posting, where would they find you? All right. So start with my email. Our email is cupinvestigations at gmail.com. Um, we also have a Facebook page where we are central.utah.paranormal. And that is the same on Instagram. Um, we have our largest, I um, even though Facebook, book owns Instagram. Um, most of the things we post on Instagram don't go onto Facebook. So we have our largest following and our largest um, amount of video sources on Instagram. If you want full investigations where you can watch a video from beginning to end, those are on YouTube under Central Utah Paranormal. You can always just look for, this is our logo, the little ghost. It's the easiest way to find it. But our newer our newest logo i believe is might be on facebook right now is this one right here i'll have to uh add that onto the cover art uh because i'm not sure if i'm gonna end up having this as video but just in case so that people do know what he's talking about that will be the cover art okay that's fine and we have we have a twitter too it's uh cu paranormal one or paranormal one but we don't we don't do much on twitter because our instagram automatically shares to twitter and facebook but all of our reels and our shorter videos 
for some reason won't cross over from Instagram to Facebook. So our Instagram is where you're going to find all of the UFO videos, the, the theories, the debunk videos. Um, there's a lot of people that will get on our Instagram and just be like, this is fake. This is fake. Aliens are fake. And I'm like, that's okay. If you believe that's fake, but tell me why. Tell me why you think it's fake. Because I love the discussion. And you can learn things from skeptics. Because yeah, they'll bring out a point. About it. Yeah, and they'll bring out points that you haven't thought of. And so you can implement that yourself in your own process. So I always try and be really nice to the people that just get on and they're like, F you, I hate you, you're dumb, this is fake. I'm like, okay, um, thank you for the kind words, but why? Why is it fake? Um, I guess you'll also see our, um, I'm a very enthusiast metalhead. I listen to everything from a bath to Alice Cooper. And I play a lot of metal guitar, so I usually throw that on there too. But you'll find mostly, mostly paranormal and alien videos. But Instagram is where you're going to find all of it and not just some. And of course, I'll add all the links at the bottom so that everybody can find them. I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show today. And I really appreciate you sharing all of your stories with us. And I hope you come back one day. I'd love to because I have so many more stories. (laughs) And I'll have some more updated ones, which would be really cool too, that we haven't had on the show before. Yeah, that's true. To everybody out there, I hope you enjoyed the show and uh, can't wait to see you in the next one. Have a good night, everybody. If anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic question for the show, or has anything they feel they can contribute to the show, please send me an email at inquiriesaboutrealitypodcast at outlook.com. If you'd like to donate to the show so I can eventually do this as a full-time thing, please check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash inquiries of our reality podcast. And of course, follow me on social media for updates on the show. For Instagram, it's going to be www.instagram.com slash inquiries of our reality. And for Facebook, it's going to be www.facebook.com slash inquiries of our reality podcast.